This is the Registry Podcast. Welcome everyone to the Real Perspectives Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of real estate, investments, and business strategies. I'm your host, Vladimir Posanets, co-founder and publisher of The Registry, and I'm excited to bring you another insightful episode today. Our guest for today's episode is a true luminary in the real estate industry. He's the founding partner of Sage Investment Group in the Pacific Northwest, with offices in Kirkland and Richland, Washington, with a wealth of experience in successful investments and hotel to apartment conversion transactions. Ross Hubbard is today's guest, and his drive and motivation for his work and company are really exemplary, and I'm excited to share his experiences with you. So whether you're a seasoned real estate professional or just dipping your toes into the world of multifamily development and investments, this episode is packed with valuable insights you won't want to miss. So grab your notepads and get ready to gain some real perspectives from the one and only Ross Hubbard. Ross, good morning. How's it going? Hey, good morning. It's going well. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Where do we find you today? Where are you? Good. I'm in my home office in my backyard in Kirkland, Washington. I uh, have a better space here. The, we're busting at the seams in the physical office. That's thankfully 30 seconds away, uh, but it's uh, it's loud. So and we've got a lot of activity on there. I figured it'd be best to be on a recording silently. So here I am. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's nice to sort of hear the hustle and bustle of the office, but at the same time, yes, for a recording <laughs> session like this, it's probably easier to be in a quiet place. I agree. Wonderful. Uh, well, Ross, uh, by way of introduction, tell us a little bit about your company, yourself. You know, how did you get into this space and, um, you know, how did you get to what you do today? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm the co-founder of the Sage Investment Group. And we specialize in investing in distressed hotels that are then converted with the change of use into apartments. So that effectively brings a lot of really high quality housing to market uh, in a very limited amount of time. Nine months uh, is our average production schedule for each asset, 100 plus units. And uh, together uh, we uh, are invested and we use Sage to structure our investment. So we have, of course, ourselves, my wife and I, we started this business and our CEO, he's our second largest investor. Uh, we're the primary investors. We own the majority, uh, we're the largest shareholders, so to speak. So with that, uh, we're heavily behind our product and then we invite other people to join us. It started as friends and family and then it led to you know extended professional networks. So uh, we're about 190 investors currently and uh, continuing to grow as we expand within this niche which uh, presents a really interesting opportunity at an interesting time in history for this type of housing development to be available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell us a little bit about you. How did you get into into commercial real estate uh, and into into development? Uh, is this something that uh, always appealed to you and uh, you kind of got there little by little or is it one of these you know long winding roads as, uh, as it usually is, I would, yeah. I would imagine? It was gradual, that's for sure. You know, I had a really good exposure to an entrepreneurial spirit and the way of doing things growing up. And my parents showed me how to work for yourself. So they own you know, a few businesses um, in the trades, in contracting and painting contracting. So I grew up with that background. So I understood what it would take and how much it would cost in the timelines for construction, which were really 
I can't replace that um, easily. And it's very valuable to me still. So with that, uh, you know, I started to become interested after college in just the general real estate market. I freshly graduated from 2010 WSU. Um, ambitious, employed, good credit, $20,000 in dry powder from a lot of work. Uh, my wife and I were able to to put together um, through our college experience. And then, you know, on we intentionally started to, to look into auction properties. So it's 2010 being a, a very much bottom in the real estate market uh, that we'd experienced from the global financial crisis. And uh, everything was 60 or 70% off. So I started to learn very small. I bought a single family house at auction for $90,000 in SeaTac and we renovated it, got it tenanted and refinanced and continued to be surprised. You know, we had $300 in net income from one asset that we invested $15,000 in with a hard money loan to acquire and we had refinanced all that out. So now we could continue to do it. And so we did and we were feverish about it. I mean, it was so thrilling to be able to create that kind of value. So we continue to acquire single families and work our day jobs. And my wife was at Microsoft at the time, um, just working in the big coordination logistics. And uh, I was a painting contractor with my parents' company, uh, running about 15 guys and just doing local residential painting. So uh, it was just the right time uh, and place. And certainly, you know, we had the interest. So that's that's how it got started. And then it evolved. Yeah. And the company today, you said you're based here in Kirkland, Washington, but the company is doing more than just Washington, correct? Where have you expanded? Um, give us a little bit of a sense of the you know geography that you cover today. Yeah, we're in eight states and we're targeting growth markets that specifically need this type of housing. Those hotels are small. You know, their units are small. We're talking about 250 to 350 square feet. So they're all studio high efficiency units. But there is none produced. And so as long as you're in a market that is sustainably growing, um, you know, much like the Southeast is in droves that are people moving here locally in Washington as well, uh, you have a large need for working class and a missing middle class that is underserved and have to live with roommates or in just, you know, less than adequate conditions or not as good of fit for locations that they'd like next to their jobs. So there's just a lot of circumstances out there and needs that are not being fulfilled. And uh, there's a contingent of, of residents that, that need what we're providing. Um, so it's really cool to be able to provide that value and within a short time, uh, considering the housing crisis that's continuing to occur, the imbalance of supply and demand. Yeah. And this is an interesting niche that you occupy. So you only go into these, you know, smaller motels, hotels, right? And then you try to refurbish them and create a, a multifamily asset, right? Is that is that sort of the goal? And have yeah. you um is is this the main focus of the of the company right now? It is, yeah. Yeah. So the hundred units or more per property is our, our baseline. Uh, and then, of course, they have to be in an area that is in demand of these types of efficiency units. And they must be in an area that is amenable to the change of use because they're built in commercial zones next to city centers. They're next to employment and transportation and uh, sometimes industrial, sometimes retail. So uh, it's just a different application. But because of the housing need, and the lack thereof and the inability to provide it to the market without three to five years of development at class A price points, 
well, what are we going to do for these folks that, you know, just don't have adequate options? And we have to adapt and reuse. So we're taking a previous asset that was run into the ground and made largely criminal and contingent and providing people with poor places to stay, uh, giving them options for rental rates that are extortion rates. I mean, it's crazy. $2,000 a month, no kitchen type rates. And we're transitioning that asset from a hindrance in the community into a housing for, you know, right now we just completed our lease up in Fife. We have zero to 30% AMI being served, 19% occupy that property. They're all fully funded from subsidies, but these are people that were previously homeless. You know, they need housing, they need support, but they don't have the options, even though they have the, the money from the nonprofit that set them up but there's no place for the nonprofit to house them still. So these are partnerships that we're creating with the Veterans Affairs Supportive Housing and, and dozens of other agencies that are all you know, providing this, this dramatic need. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I uh, wanna ask a few more questions about that, but before I do, Tell us a little bit about what do you physically do with the property? I imagine these are uh, relatively or close to being obsolete properties, right? So both in terms of um, you know you know utilities, uh, you know upgrades, maybe you know things you need to invest in, like you know roofs and windows and doors. Do you typically um, you know create like you know one unit out of out of two two hotel rooms? You know what what are some of the kind of you know, specific things that you will physically do to make this um, livable community? Yeah, certainly. So if you envision your typical roadside hotel, now you're going to have studio units uh, throughout, and it's all designed in a way that it's very efficient to be built. And these are typically 1970s, 80s, and 90s vintage. And they're needing to be adapted so that they can accommodate full-time living. Uh, so we put in kitchens and make them R2 in code uh, defined residences. So uh, improvements in fire code, energy code, plumbing, electrical, and the like. Uh, with that, and we can occupy them as full-time residences, but we make them very nice. So we put in what you would see from your new construction, uh, your white shaker, cabinets, stainless steel appliances, quartz countertops uh, with Carrera marble veins, uh, LVP, uh, very nice door and trim package, um, well done bathroom, you know, tile and heavy glass. So all of these things come together to create an exceptional space, albeit small. And then we add value by having amenities that are far reaching. Uh, so dog parks, dog wash stations, gyms, yoga, you name it, we put it in there. We want you to be part of this community to the extent that you're going to not only be here to stay, but you can use the places and you don't have to pay for extra services to have the same type of amenity. All the properties are secured parking, and then we provide our best value amenity package, which is our water, sewer, electric, garbage utility, plus internet and cable utility. We bring in high-speed fiber with gig speed, so everybody can do what they need to do. Uh, and then we provide it as a package, and you pay one flat fee a month for your utility package plus your base rent. It eliminates the need to apply, to pay extra extra costs, to put down payments for things like, you know, if you have bad credit, you need cable, you have to put 70 bucks down to secure it. Have a soft credit check, you know, all these things add up and impact these folks, and it's a burden. And so, you know, they need an easy button option. People find it to be tremendously convenient and something they love which provides a lot of retention. You know, we'll have 
to the same tenants for two or three years. Yeah. Ross, did you, when you started a company with your wife, I mean, obviously, um, when you bought your first single family home um, to, you know, rent and, you know, renovate, I, I imagine this perhaps wasn't the goal, you know, the goal was to sort of try to accumulate some wealth and kind of get get your, you know, uh, you know, get get on your feet, right? But I'm, but I'm curious, how did you transition into, um, into this type of work to you know create this type of product for um, for that demographic and and I'm curious sort of how that happened. Yeah, I mean it, it was it was a very humble origination. Our original goal was to replace my salary so we could have kids and she would be free to exercise her options. You know, it's not be stuck at work when she wants to be a mom. That's what she wanted to do. We didn't really know. So $3,000 a month is what we uh, considered to be reasonable and uh, what's our goal. And we obtained that within a few years. And then we saw the value creation and the wealth creation from the appreciation. We saw the ability to collateralize and leverage and reuse and compound. And it just, oh, I mean, I, it kind of blew my mind. I mean, I, I just didn't have this type of financial education before even though I had a four-year degree. And so I, I knew that there was so much more I didn't understand. I started to want to seek out what I didn't know. And so I looked at a, a lot of different financial tools uh, and I started to apply myself in how I structure real estate as an investment and how financial tools are structured and how we can utilize real estate within a financial tool to compound. And all we have to do is have a model and a vision and execute upon it. And since we have a product that's very defined and easy to execute on a model on a systematic basis, we can plug in the result and the compounding impact on capital is remarkable. So it, it allows a, a five-year period or a 10-year period of fixed investment, depending upon who's investing and what they like and what their goals are, uh, to make uh, above value or above market returns. But that's because of a system of implementation. And we started doing it for ourselves on a small scale. And then we found multifamily, which just affords a better, what's the word, um, efficiency. You know, to have 40 units under one roof is way less than 40 roofs. So it's just, it's easier to cost control. It's easier to make a better profit per unit. And it's easier to build upon at scale. And so with the transition from single to multi, from value add to then a hotel conversion on accident in 2019, that then a discovery of that is now in vogue and there's a massive imbalance in housing supply, uh, we have something to execute upon here. And it's being further, uh, further expanded upon by federal funding, which is really fascinating. Last year, $10.3 billion went to affordable housing initiatives through grants and the like. That's all trickling down. So now there are these agencies out there that have the mission to procure asset, but they have cost control measures and they're not contractors and they're not developers. So they're coming to us with their grant money that they want to buy these properties. And all they require is overlays with master lease agreements. So we're providing 50% master leases which we're happy to do to, to veterans and then dissolving by exchanging that property for agreed to value so they can sustain long-term housing that will eliminate veteran homelessness. I mean, you should hear the conviction in these guys' voices when they talk about what their missions are and their veterans. Right. 
Right. It's just there are so many areas that we start to you know come together and pull from. It's just been super exciting. So I think you know from where we started to where we're at now, it's just been opportunities that present themselves and you know picking them up. Yeah, and and Ross, what I was also trying to ask with that question is this whole sort of social impact, right? And the impact you have on people's lives who are, you know, disadvantaged, I would argue, right? Maybe who don't have a four-year degree like you and I do. And you've been able to create sort of a setting for them where they can have a home, where they can feel secure. And that's that's a huge thing. And I'm also curious, you know, was when did that kind of become part of the strategy as well? Because I, I imagine at this point, you know, just listening to your talk about this, I mean, you are obviously driven by this as well. Yeah, it was very much by accident. I mean, I just feel like a lot of things are like that in, in respect to um, opportunities that you just end up presenting themselves. I don't know how else to explain it. And and when you have a connection with another person that is doing something that they're driven and passionate by and you hear that, there's just, it's very moving. And I, the money, it follows a value. And so, you know, I've always been very... Specific and like, how can I provide whoever it is that I'm, you know, wanting to provide? How do I provide value, and how does that, you know, convert from, you know, just that to to then have compensating, you know, me? And the, the less I think about the compensation, the more I think about the providing of value, the more I'm compensated. And so it's just it's such an easy way of identifying like how we can actually help and make a difference and and do better and then to to have somebody on the other end of the of the line really you know doing a part that i can't do is is amazing to me and 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 makes me want to do so much more and it's more interesting than just making money because it becomes the primary objective and the secondary impact is that money is being made but the primary objective is that the folks that serve our country are gonna have a place to live and it's just, it's so simple. And I, I don't know why that's not the case now. And so let's make it the case. But uh, yeah, it happened about a year ago, that uh, that realization. And it was when uh, the Veterans Affairs Board of Housing started to become part of our um, agencies that we work with significantly. So Ross, um, as you were talking about some of these organizations that help you either find the tenants or help them fund the rent, tell us how that came about and what are some of these organizations and um, what kind of assistance do you get from them? Yeah. So what was neat about the, uh, when we closed on our property in Washington, Fife initially a year and a half ago, um, it got a lot of publicity and it was such a bad property for the city of Fife that uh, the publicity was surrounding like what's going to happen next and can we make it better? And because of that, you know, there was a lot of outreach um, from a, a number of different people. Uh, one of which was the veterans affairs supportive housing. And what they loved about it was that there was a big um, a number of units that could all be you know, secured at once. And a number of them were ADA units and they're all on the ground level uh, with the location it's pretty perfect for their tenants and they instantly wanted to you know create a relationship so we started talking to them about what they had in mind they secured 16 units through a memorandum of understanding with us and we agreed to a few of these things that allowed their veterans to obtain housing that limit um you know the qualifiers so they can have two evictions within the last seven years and things like that we try to make first second chances with the subsidized programs 
so there, I thought that was really neat. And then their beta program that they wanted to launch was use of common area space for veterans, uh, getting together, uh, having events, having therapy, uh, and then just basically sharing uh, in in their life and community. And uh, we set aside a couple of private rooms for them, uh, part of our MOU, and then also set aside the uh, entertainment uh, you know, lobby, open area with the kitchen and buffet and tables and things like that. So uh, I just loved what they had uh, in mind for their mission. And it became um, something that I really, you know, was interested in expanding upon. So we did a good job for them and, and uh, we have continued to expand that relationship. And because of that, it's opened up other doors. Do these organizations also have help bring in families? So you specifically highlighted, uh, you know, Veterans Affairs, um, but obviously there are other, you know, either uh, nonprofit associations or organizations that will help, you know, those needed or needy rather for, for housing. Um, have you expanded it beyond, um, just, just, uh, just to work with the veterans? Yeah, certainly. We worked with a number of agencies, both on a micro and macro level, just nationally or, or in the individual cities and counties. Yeah. Those are awesome. You know, they result in helping people. Uh, I don't know the specifics of the program, uh, individually, but we have a community director and outreach, Whitney Wilkins, who's in charge of that specific detail. I should be able to speak to that better. But uh, I do know that there are a number that are, you know, responsible for placing two to five uh, per property uh, from those agency sources. Uh, the Veterans Affairs just happens to be one that has been most substantial in terms of percentage of occupancy and need. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's for, for me, become more of a of an obvious area of, of need and something that we can really uh, highlight and diving deep into and narrowing our focus to specifically serve those that have served us before uh, and ensuring that they have a place to live uh, without a doubt. You know, we want to serve everyone that is in need, uh, but this is, this is certainly um, coming to, to be the most prevalent. Yeah. Uh, Ross, I'm curious, as I, as I listen to you talk, do you have family that has been in the armed services? Is that, is that part of the motivation also, or is it, or is it just something that you've, uh, you know, encountered on, on your own? Yeah, I have several, uh, several family members that are veterans. Uh, they're no longer with us. Uh, you know, and my personal connection with them is, is not as motivating as my patriotism. Uh, so I think that it, it more happens to be my my love for the country and the, the people that have made it possible for me to do something that I'm doing, which I'm I'm completely in love with. So it's like it provides me the opportunity to uh, help my family. So yeah, I just want to help them. I yeah, four, that's. I have four kids because of this. I mean, I would not have had them in my life had I been not able to create. You know a reasonable income that can afford me the, the ability to take care of them. And uh, we have the luxury of passing that on. I get emotional about it because I can't help it. But that's quite all right. And that's very admirable. Um, and um, I, uh, you know, congratulate you on that, both for being honest and um, being open about your feelings about that. Um, as you look to grow this organization across the other eight states, or uh, you know, are you continuing to work with these organizations uh, there as well? Yeah, yeah, and we're really expanding in that respect. I mean, uh, the, the outreach that I just had a couple of days ago was from a um, an individual uh, veteran that is 
working on several nonprofits with his partners and they uh they have that mission uh, to eliminate veteran homelessness and they're doing it nationally so uh, we're working with them here and in, in denver colorado as well uh, but i've provided them every single address and i welcome them to participate in as much as possible and and uh continue to do what they're doing which is putting really you know good tax dollars to work really good tax dollars to work i mean if i have to be taxed and spend on anything that's where i'm going to want to do it yeah yeah makes sense um so the work that you do in a way um is very sustainable you are uh sort of using an asset that was already you know created you're not you know demolishing it and putting you know waste into the ground right you're effectively reusing um a property um, but I imagine kind of given the technology that exists today, um, I'm curious, you know, are you incorporating any other sustainable tools and, you know, mechanisms um, into your properties, whether it's, you know, solar or I don't know, you know, things like that, that, um, you know, help them operate more efficiently and independently? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, because we don't, we have master utilities in all our properties, so we pay for the bills, all of them. That means we're very incentivized to to waste reduce. Uh, low flow fixtures are an easy one for all the plumbing fixtures, uh, but beyond that, you know, LED lighting upgrades throughout, uh, high efficiency hot water systems and tankless applications, and updated energy code insulation requirements, providing for better retainage of heating, less energy needs. Uh, and then further uh, measures because these are hotels and they utilize PTAC units, which are in wall and they have heating and cooling properties through condensation. Uh, those are kind of a bear. And when you have, you don't have a good system to manage them, then they are expensive to operate and they often break. So what we found is a good resource that, has a Nest-like thermostat where it monitors who's in the room, has internet connectivity, can smart off, smart on, and then we have overall control you know, by floor. So if we have an area of units that are known vacant, we can turn them off. Yeah, wonderful. That's, that's really cool. Um, so also, um, uh, you know, as you help create these properties, uh, you touched upon this a little bit about you know how how you provide amenities that you know essentially create a small community right but tell us about that as well you know um, you know you know you're effectively you know re revitalizing an, an an asset by you know you know you know making a different use of it as well right people are sort of you know mulling around right this is their home now. You know, tell us, you know, how do you approach this whole, you know, notion of you're building somebody's home and you want to kind of give them all these sort of neat areas where they can, um, you know, really have an exceptional life? Yeah. Uh, what I love about it is the infrastructure is already there. You know, most hotels are built like resorts intentionally because, you know, they need to appeal to people that they market to. So we have a lot of courtyard space and we have a lot of extra areas of common area and open space and meeting rooms or convention center areas. And that is all very moldable. So we take the square footage and the, the, the acreage and we envision, you know, what it is that we want out of this if it were somewhere we wanted to you know, have our family be. So that brings up lots of different needs you know, that are 
relatively pragmatic and you know, you're looking at your gym setups and your your yoga and your meeting rooms and and all that and then there's some that are more uh, associated with interests like dog parks and dog washes and don't apply to everybody uh, and then certainly we appeal to other areas of interest too we'll put in ping pong we'll put in a pool we'll put in arcades and then pinball machines uh on one coming up in tacoma we're putting in a putt putt golf course i mean it's just we're trying to create that feeling where yeah you you live here and it's small where you store your stuff and rest your head but you're not really gonna be in your room like you're gonna be out and about hanging out with your friends using the amenities you're gonna be going out onto the street which happens to be conveniently located next to Bass Pro Shop, Domino's Pizza, IHOP, and and the like. You know, it's always very close in proximity to transportation and amenities uh, that are offered from the community, like shopping, uh, because they're hotels. They were built to house temporary people that are using the local things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just um, such a cool thing. Yeah, no, I I can only imagine. Uh, tell me how the communities have responded. I I can't imagine that the mayors and like the city council men and women are not you know ecstatic about this as well. Um, tell us you know how that's been helpful and sort of some of the feedback you've heard from them. Yeah, yeah. Like everything, life is a matter of perception and communication. So initially, the perception can be that we're creating homeless shelters. Like if we have a closing and we haven't been proactively in touch with the council members or anyone, then that can be something we have to try to you know, respond to. Um, primarily just with the communication, the examples of other projects and impacts on previous communities that we've completed projects with, uh, it's really easy and it's very well received. And, you know, we, we together, private and public, can make a big impact on delivering sustainable units to market and providing the most underprivileged and afforded uh, and kind of ignored segment uh, housing, really high quality housing. Uh, so that's that's been uh, very well received. And, you know, we, we like to be able to, you know, we, we really appreciate you know, the opportunity to speak with you, Vlad, because, you know, being able to share our story and to talk about the, what we're doing and how we care about our product helps us with the perception, helps us, you know, easily, you know, get into areas you know, that need to need help. Uh, in the communities that we've worked in so far, it's been awesome. Uh, they have all resulted in, you know, lower criminal rates, lower property crime rates, and uh, just a better overall community. So yeah. It's good. I imagine uh, the local retailers are also very excited as well because you're bringing in kind of a you know essentially you know more people to the to the area. Um, have you been able to partner with some of them or at least get some feedback on how this has helped you know revitalize you know their businesses as well? Yeah, most definitely. You know, I'll talk about the Hosmer district in Tacoma just as a bit of a case example. And this is an area where we've purchased or purchasing five properties, a little over 600 units. And uh, we're a significant owner from all the way down to 82nd up to 72nd. And this is a district of area that has historically been disparaged. Um, you know, it's been treated as halfway houses without any type of uh, regulation because uh, the criminals knew that there was no accountability. So they would get out of wherever they were, you know, being a problem in and come to the hotels and cash over keys. And, and they're just living there and doing their thing. And, you know, they pay and look the other way. That's just the motto down there. So there are eight homicides in the 12 previous months before we had purchased on that, uh, on that street. 
um, and a three police car required response. So we knew that we needed to make a big splash. So when we got engaged, we talked with TPD, uh, we set up security, we set up private security, we fired up the Hosmer Business Association, uh, which was uh, previously run but then had fallen apart, and uh, started to work with the community to communicate our intent. This is where Whitney really comes into play and was an incredible fixture in ensuring that our community connection was there because she's right local in Tacoma, the North End, and uh, you know cares deeply about the community. So uh, she could work with the business owners there, and she has successfully getting everyone together so that now the Business Owners Association is robust. We have a budget. We have a security team that we're creating and implementing as a secondary private security for the entire Hosmer district. What we used to have is homeless encampments and rampant drug use, Percocet, blue pills, tinfoil, everywhere, all day long, during the day, open carrying firearms. Police couldn't do anything there. They're not properly geared up. So there had to be a private and public way of solving the problem. And the together, uh, we certainly were able to provide people with notices and outreach and help those that want help get housing and not be in that homeless encampment and provide housing shelters that are available within 10 blocks of that location and then improve the situation for everyone involved, which includes the current residents of Hosmer district and the businesses. So now we have people that are in better housing situations and we have no encampments and we have very little drug use and a fraction of what we used to occur um, in terms of crime. So yeah. we're looking looking forward to that continuing to become yeah better, amazing better. that's that's really really amazing um, Ross on the financial side um, how do you guys raise money um, what is what is the sort of profile of a, of a I don't know if there's a, such a thing as a perfect investor but <laughs> but but an investor you'd like to work with Yeah I appreciate the question you know I think that the biggest thing that we've always you know focused on is and we provide a specific product that has an outcome, the outcome is known. And, you know, we invite others to, to join us. And we have historically friends and family that have been primary. And then it started to creep out into family professional networks and then professional networks of professional networks and so on. And it's all very organic. Um, we appreciate people that like real estate, understand real estate, and want to invest in it without the labor. And we appreciate the people that, you know, have trust in operators as a result of due diligence that we can transparently provide. So all in all, you know, I don't think there is any perfect, you know, investor necessarily. Um, I, I think that if there is an interest in what we're doing, and I'm more than happy to have a conversation with anyone uh, and uh, and see what we can do together. You know, we, we wouldn't be here without the sum of our parts being more than the individual pieces. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are your goals for the next couple of years? So I have, um, now it's seven years to get to my main goal, which was originally a 10 year goal, which would be a billion in assets under management. And it's approximately, uh, you know, this is seven years to go. We're at uh, 200 million by the end of this year. And then I have a, uh, another goal, which I think 
probably surpasses that one because it's going to lead to the secondary goal that is. And I was inspired and will borrow it from my property management team in Coast uh, here out of Everett, uh, which is to impact positively a million lives, which I think is so cool. And they're at about 680,000 right now. They've been in business since 1990-something. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I want to join that and add on to it and, and see how many people we can you know, make a difference uh, to, you know, and, and then uh, the rest falls. It's all good. Um, and uh, just continue to enjoy the process and take the opportunities for what they are. That's wonderful. And geographically, um, are you going to try to uh, focus in one area more uh, rather than the others? Do you see opportunities you know, expanding somewhere outside of Washington or still, you know, kind of Washington area, you know, you know, mainly. I love Washington, but I'm data driven. So it's just, it's all about where people are moving, where the jobs are, where the employment increase and wages are. Uh, That's heavy in the Southeast. We're heavy there. And we're continuing to expand with uh, regional support because I have a, I have a uh, employee out in Franklin, Tennessee. So I've been able to really capitalize upon that. And, and he's uh, he moved back for family. He has three boys. So I have three kiddos and uh, is just trying to have grandma and grandpa close by. So uh, with that, we got huge exposure to this market that he was born and raised in. And it's been wonderful because everybody's moving there. Yeah, Franklin is a beautiful little uh, town. <laughs> yeah. I've been there a couple of times. So wonderful. Yeah. Um, Listen, as we um, do these uh, interviews, one of the things that I'd like to do is also ask the people that I interview is, um, you know, some advice they could give to others that are either trying to get into this market or advice you would maybe give to your younger self. I mean, it sounds like your company hasn't been around for that long, but still, I'm sure big lessons learned. Um, you know, how would you go about, you know, sharing some of that advice, whether it's to your younger self or, or to others, you know, trying to kind of um, emulate what, you know, you are trying to do? Uh, there's a great book out there called The Go-Giver, which would certainly expand upon my basic um, belief, which is provide value and look for where you can provide value. Um, and in any application that you find interesting, uh, the value that you provide will not be work. It will be satisfaction. So if you can if you can identify that, and then look for how to provide value within it, that's a that's a lot to ask. Uh, but then you'll be good. What I love about the Go Giver is it tells you how to do that on a really small level. It's like because the first time I heard that, I just didn't know what the heck to make of it or how to get started. And uh, it's simple. It's really simple. But I, I think that there are a lot of good lessons and, you know, it's it's breaking it down into just the human experience. You know, the people that you meet at the gas station, talk to them, say hello, you know, just make a difference, do anything. And things happen all of a sudden, you know, opportunities will just start to, to be there for you. Wonderful. Um, Ross, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. This was, um, uh, you know, uh, this, this, this was amazing. It was very inspirational as well for, for me too. Um, you know, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing. It's really commendable. Um, I wish you guys the best and I look forward to connecting with you soon and uh, learning more about where you are in your journey. Thank you. I really appreciate the thoughtful questions. I mean, I enjoyed the interview because of the way it made me think about a couple of different things that frankly I've been doing, but not thinking about. And it, it obviously struck a chord. I mean, I can't, <laughs> can't tell you the last time that happened, but anyway, uh, I, I, I love it. 
and I'm excited to continue. I appreciate the, uh, the time. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.